G'day and welcome to Museo Punks, the podcast for the Progressive Museum. My name is Suze Cairns and I am here with my wonderful co-host, Jeff Rinsko. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, Suze. How are you today? I am pretty good. Do you realize that this is our one-year anniversary? It is. This Happy is our anniversary. anniversary episode. <laughs> I, 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 I knew we would be doing this a year later, uh, but I really... Uh, I could not have envisioned the way that this has progressed over the last year. It's been kind of awesome. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I remember the first conversations that we had about doing a podcast and what it might look like. And yeah. it it has just been so much more of a rewarding experience than what I was originally expecting. Yeah, yeah. So well, I, wh- how so? I mean, how does, the, how does, how does this project, um, you know, reward you i think um truthfully part of it is getting the chance to actually really get in and ask questions of people that i find interesting or projects that i find interesting and dig into ideas but also doing it in a public way i actually really enjoy the fact that i get to have lots of interesting conversations at conferences and things but they're often just mine and it's really nice to be able to take those conversations and that sort of in-depth digging into something and actually share it with people but at a personal level i also just really love the chance to talk to really interesting people what about you i mean that's that's for me what is really interesting about this what what is it for you yeah i think it's i think it's it's regularly taking the time and carving out the time to to chat with really smart people that I, I respect, you know? Um, and, and that's, that's number one, but I also think that it's really awesome that some of the ideas that we've, you know, explored and, and dove deep on are starting to have real impact in the sector. Totally. Um, and, and it's, you know, we've received a lot of comments from people, both email and, and Twitter about, you know, oh, after your design thinking episode, we're trying that out in our museum and um, we're, it's, it's going great or, you know, so it's like people list, like kind of taking the topics and discussions and the concepts and, and really implementing them in their, in their operations, which is cool. Yeah, I think so as well. I mean, I had a sense from blogging that actually having a sort of public professional identity could change the way people talk about things in part because it changes the way I read and think and talk about things because when I read what other people are saying, it it makes me have to think about the issues. But I think with the podcast, it's in a very different way from the way blogging is because blogging is so solitary, whereas this is actually lovely because it's a conversation. And I think that actually you still get to sort of talk about interesting topics, but it's in a very different way from what, from what blogging is. Yeah. And you can kind of almost let it go and and riff on different things. And it's like, it's like a, it's more of like a a rock band atmosphere than it is like a, like a solitary writing experience, which is, which is cool. (laughs) Totally. Um, But so before we get into today's episode, let's do some follow up real quick. Um, The first thing uh, I think we should, we should, talk about and acknowledge is uh museums in the web award the best of the web for professional development category um yeah uh, 
Wow. <laughs> what do you say about that? Uh, that's awesome. Thank you to anyone who helped make that happen. Um, yeah, thank it you was to the listeners, right? Absolutely. So exciting. The When museums, because this is the first time I haven't been to museums in the web since 2011. And I, um, I was asleep. I was here in Australia when Best of the Web was happening. And all of a sudden, my phone, which sits next to my bed, just started buzzing constantly. And it was the most yeah. exciting way to wake up was to all of these messages from people being like, yay, Museo Punks gets Best of the yeah. Web. So... So thanks to everybody who made that happen. And, you know, super, super, super thanks to all of our guests over the last year because, I mean, they're the ones who um, were gracious enough to come on and chat with us and rap with us for an hour or so about, um, you know, some cutting edge ideas and concepts. So um, we appreciate everything they've done and and, and the, the committee at Museums in the Web as well for acknowledging it. It's yeah, great. absolutely. Thanks so much. Um, and the the other piece of follow up before we get into um, what we're talking about today is that we've had a lot of requests uh, via email and the contact form on our website and on Twitter uh, to submit the podcast to Stitcher, which is um, a, a podcast aggregator um, app platform. Um, and so we've done that. So by the time this airs, hopefully, uh, Museo Punks will be in Stitcher app. Uh, so if that's your listening uh, uh, platform of choice. Go have at it. We're we're in there. So totally uh, kicking yeah. it with the cool kids and the right technology and the right platforms. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I had to actually do some research on what Stitcher. I didn't know what it was, but um, right now, apparently it's, it's what the kids the kids listen to. The kids so. today, man. <laughs> okay. It's kind of nice that we're having our one year anniversary today, and we're talking a little bit about. The implications for us professionally and personally of doing museo punks and of the podcast because. Today we are talking about social media and what it does for your professional identity. So it's actually right. quite coincidentally a lovely segue that our our show is actually related to the same things we want to talk about at the start. So we have some really awesome guests this episode. First up is uh, Nina Simon, who uh, I'm sure you all know, but uh, is now director of the Santa Cruz Museum of Art and History. Uh, and we also have Ed Rodley, Associate Director of Integrated Media at Peabody Essex Museum, who writes the um, the wonderful site, uh, Thinking About Museums. So they each bring uh, really unique perspectives. And I know I was super, super excited to talk to both of them. Yeah, me too. I think they one of the lovely things about this conversation is that they both came to blogging and social media at very different times in their career. And that's one of the reasons we decided to to chat to them about it, but rather than hearing us talk about talking to them, let's get into the conversations. Nina Simon is the executive director of the Santa Cruz Museum of Art and History and the author of the book, The Participatory Museum. Prior to taking the helm at the MA, uh, she was an independent experience designer who helped cultural institutions worldwide create dynamic, audience-driven exhibitions, and educational programs. And since t 2006, Nina has authored the widely read Museum 2.0 blog, which might in fact be the longest-running museum blog on the internet? I'm not sure. Nina, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, so uh, what is it about museums that lures you in and drives you to make your life's work with them? <laughs> Um, well, that 
that question is loaded um, because I think that for me, actually, the thing that energizes me about museums um, is not at all a, based in a longstanding love for them. I didn't grow up going to museums, wandering the halls, feeling like this was the place for me. In fact, I always feel a little uncomfortable and a little frustrated by museums. I feel like they are a design problem, right? Huge potential, very problematic execution. And um, so what really drives me is to look at how do we take these existing cultural institutions and really make them as welcoming and dynamic and accessible as possible? I spent a long time wandering through art museums, kind of vaguely uncertain about what I was supposed to be doing and how I was supposed to feel, sort of getting the sense that somebody else was having an epiphanal experience and I didn't know how to access it. And so I think, again, a lot of my work is about trying to build that bridge for people who may not feel that it's evident that a museum is for them. And, you know, the second part of your question, you talked about kind of life's work. And I think one of the things I really struggle with is um, uncertainty about um, how long I will be in museums and whether they really are the field that I'm going to be in forever. Hmm. Huh. That's a really uh, interesting sort of way to to talk about the topic because I think one of the things we're talking about is actually is careers and and how you structure a career and also what it means to involve social media in a career and and to have a career that exists online as much as as much as face to face. Yeah. So if if we sort of go back to the early days, if we're now sort of talking about, you know, projecting forward and how you think about where you take your career, let's let's go back to where you started and how you started in museums and how you started blogging. Um, sure. The blog's inception, what's, what's the origin story? What prompted it all? Yeah, well, uh, let me first step back and say I have an unusual museum background. Um, my degree's in electrical engineering, and so I kind of came in through the side door um, of Science and Children's Museums. And I know you'll be talking to Ed Rodley later, and um, I spent the beginning of my museum career really seeing them as experiential places, not even honestly really understanding that for most people, museums mean objects, and for many people, they mean art objects. That's not how I got into museums at all. Um, and the blog um, came out of a time when I was working at the Spy Museum, so I was early in my career. I kind of figured out, okay, I have this degree in electrical engineering, and I'm going to use it to work in children's museums, you know, much to my parents' chagrin, right? And <laughs> um, and so I started, I, I bopped around a lot of different museums, but I went right from um, my bachelor's degree to working in different science and children's museums and then kind of got to a point where I said, okay, I'm ready to have a full-time job in a museum. And I said to myself, what I'm looking for isn't so much about a particular kind of place. It's that I want to find a mentor. I want to find somebody to work for. Mm. And I found this person in Anna Slafer, who um, was the director of exhibitions and programs at the International Spy Museum in D.C., um, she's still there and she is and was that incredible mentor for me and um, just extraordinary. And so I started the blog while working at the Spy Museum. And one of the things that happened while I was there was I had the opportunity to um, take some professional development opportunities that I don't think I would have had in some other places. And I would go to conferences alone. And 
I'm a pretty social person in small groups, but I'm one of those people where I'm in a cocktail party or a big space like a conference. I just completely shut down. I feel overwhelmed. I feel um, very uncomfortable and nervous. And um, this is going to sound so silly, but the reason I started the Museum 2.0 blog was in 2006, it was very tied to going to Aztec, the Science and Technology Center's conference in October, and seeing and hearing from people who I really admired in the field and just realizing I want a way to talk to these people and I'm too nervous or am not good enough socially to figure out how to just have a conversation with them. So I had this convoluted idea. Okay, here's this person like Kathy McLean, you know, who I would love to know. I know, here's what I'll do. I'm hearing her talk about these things that are interesting. Um, I'm going to start a blog to explore some of those things. And then after I've gotten my feet under me, I'll send her a link and hopefully, you know, she'll get interested and we'll start a conversation or something. And so really, the blog started in a lot of ways to do what social media does best, which is be a tool that creates um, social opportunities for awkward people. And um, and <laughs> I think um, for me, it's worked out pretty well. Um, but I guess I would also say that the specific content I heard people talking about in 2006 that I got interested in was at this conference where some of these you know mentors and heroes to me in museums were asking questions like, what does YouTube mean for museums? What's the Wikipedia of museums? And I realized sitting there, gosh, you know, I'm 25. Um, I live with a whole bunch of techies um, and I could explore some of these questions. You brought them up, um, but I could dig into them. And so really it was about seeing that this question about how Web 2.0 might influence cultural institutions and museums was a juicy question that I could dive into and sort of make my own personal research or personal learning experience out of. Um, and then it yielded the social experience that I was looking for. That's, that's interesting. Cause I think we, I think we're kind of still talking about a lot of those things, sure. you know, uh, you know, years later, does it surprise you that, that we're still, um, we're still looking at how technology and specifically social technologies are impacting what it is we do at museums? Uh, it doesn't surprise me, but I'm no longer that interested in it. And so I'm really yeah. glad that so many people are interested in it now because, <laughs> uh, you know, for me, I think um, like from 2006 to really writing the book, for me, writing the participatory museum was the opportunity to like, let me get out all the ideas that I've been swirling, I've been working with around participatory design. And there's something about a book where when it's done, you say, okay, you know, I'm ready for something else. And for me, what's been interesting in my career is kind of shifting from looking at visitor participation to really looking at um, partnering with and uh, including communities in new ways. And I think a lot of what I focus on now is around social bridging and social capital theory in museums. And I'm really glad that that technology question is continuing and I have very little interest in pursuing it personally. Hmm. So something I've been really aware of in my own career, and it's interesting hearing you talk about the blog being a point of connection for you or a reason to talk to people, because I think that's similarly why I started blogging, sure. is I had this real sense of growing up professionally in public, like I was really mm -hmm. coming into my ideas and having them tested and dissected in a very yes. public forum. Yes. Did you have a similar experience to that? And how do you think it impacted actually the types of thinking that you were doing or, or the way you were thinking about these problems? Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. You know, I don't have a graduate degree and I really strongly believe in 
museums as places for free choice learners, which I consider myself to be. And so for me, actually, blogging was like a way to do my own self-directed uh, field uh, course of learning. And so um, I am very comfortable learning through writing. And I also mm. really love um, learning in dialogue with others. And I've always felt that Museum 2.0 is about putting out questions or things that I'm exploring or curious about and really looking for other people to help me develop that thinking. And in some ways, um, I think one of the reasons it's continued to be uh, read is that I feel like I come from a point of curiosity and wanting to learn. Nice. Um, so, I mean, Nina, your career has progressed through many stages sure. from consultant to author to now museum director. Can you can you talk a little bit about how the blog has followed you along that path and how it's changed um, or hasn't changed? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the blog really dragged me along that path. You know, mm. when I started out in museums, my dream was to be an exhibit designer at the Exploratorium. I thought that was yeah. the pinnacle. And I, I really thought, okay, you know, I was going to follow a pretty typical career path of you try and incrementally get bigger projects, bigger jobs, that kind of thing. And um, I really had this... Uh, breaking points, the split point that happened at the Spy Museum, where on the one hand, here I was in my early 20s running a huge project, which um, I was very lucky to get to do. And on the other hand, I realized that as soon as I left the Spy Museum, I was going to be seen as any other 25-year-old with a few years of museum experience and wasn't sure that was going to be able to really allow me to explore the ideas I was interested in. Um, and I would also say that the blog really came in, it started at this time where um, I feel like the Spy Museum is really great at doing very um, incredibly designed interactive narrative. And it's sort of the pinnacle of the edutainment kind of museum. And I say that in the most positive way. And I realized as I was writing the blog and working at Spy on this big project that um, I was more interested in this messy, participatory, um, grassroots stuff than I was in creating the slickest, most compelling game-like experience we could at Spy. And so I really knew when I left Spy that I wanted to walk off the deep end and follow the blog to something else. And what happened was within the first year um, of blogging, uh, people started contacting me and asking if I was consulting. I just started saying yes. You know, I, I really didn't know what that <laughs> meant. And it really parlayed into this pretty extraordinary few years where I was traveling all over the world. You know, I, I never, um, I wasn't like bidding on projects. People would just call me. They knew what I was about. They associated me with this very specific topic. And they knew that they wanted that to do whatever project they were doing. And so I feel like Museum 2.0, a lot of it's about luck, the, the relationship to my career, that it was kind of right question, right time for the field. And, um, and um, you know, and I was able to just ride that wave and say yes to it. And I think, you know, though I would say that that luck was uh, kind of partnered with really continuing to be thoughtful about um, what I wanted to be doing both in my career and in my writing and um, how I thought the most impact could be possible. Right. Do you think that you kind of, um, through the blog and then through these ideas of collaboration and participation and sort of co-creation and actually working with communities, do you think the, they each inform the other, that sort of they become philosophically in line so that the things that you do on the blog really actually have shaped how you're thinking about these problems of working with communities and collaboration? 
Yes, absolutely. And especially in writing the book via this wiki format, that was particularly true. However, I will say that one of the things I struggle with now is um, now the blog, you know, it's very big. It's seen as authoritative in some kinds of ways that actually problematize that idea of being in community. Because if people see me as an expert or as the authority, then suddenly that changes the way that conversation happens. I also just see across different platforms that people aren't direct commenting on blogs as much as they used to because sometimes the conversation's happening in another platform and usually um, in shorter form, like on Twitter, um, than it would on the blog. And that just kind of shifts also the sense of a community around content. And I'm constantly um, reaching out to people to say, you know, great thoughts. I'd love if you could post that as a comment on the blog so it can be part of the record conversation that happens there. Um, But I guess going back, I think that The biggest thing I struggle with is, look, I'm just a person who likes learning out loud um, with other people. And some of the kinds of um, authority or notoriety that have been afforded to me because of that are really kind of weird and uncomfortable. And um, I'm not sure what to do with them. Um, You know, on Goodreads, there's a review of the participatory museum where this person says, yeah, the ideas are good, but I really hate the cult of Nina Simon. And I just wanted to write back like, yeah, I hate that too. Like it's, it's weird. It's creepy. Like, and, um, and, uh, and so I'm not really sure how to manage that. And I think that's part of this whole public private, um, you know, online offline thing that we're talking about. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad we have you on this episode where we're focusing on kind of online professional identity. And as, as somebody who's been doing it for so long, you just mentioned some of these, but what do you think some of the benefits and hindrances are to consider when when putting yourself in that position? You know, Yeah, I would say a huge benefit, which I think in some cases could be seen as a hindrance, is that um, you can really, if you're comfortable with who you are and what you're trying to explore, Um, that's all out there. And I think Mm. that the benefit of that is, for example, when I was consulting, people knew what I was about. I wasn't a consultant exhibit designer. I was that person who does participatory stuff or community-based stuff, and we contact Nina if we want to do X. Um, Similarly, you know, when I was applying to be the executive director at this museum, anybody could read everything I had written. Um, Now, there are negatives to that, right? There's a reason that Supreme Court justice uh, applicants, you know, hide their record in various ways. But I think for me, actually, it's uh, sparked a lot of honest conversations um, about what I'm about and what's important to me. I I will say now that I'm back in an institutional mode, there is sometimes an ethical question for me about um, kind of how I feel or what's important to me versus what I think is important for the institution. And Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have that when I was just like on staff at SPY and also exploring this. Now I have this weird element of the blog where there are a lot of local, not a lot, there are some local folks in Santa Cruz, donors, board members who read Museum 2.0. And I know that when I was a consultant, I had this totally lucky thing that most people don't have, right? I could write whatever I wanted. I didn't have a boss who was going to get mad at me. Um, Now I'm the boss, but I have these people um, who are either my bosses or care about things. And boy, especially when I want to write about things like white privilege or inclusion, um, there are a lot of people who make that a very local conversation and who come up to me in the museum or on the street 
to talk about it. And mostly that's awesome, but it's totally penetrating in a way that I didn't expect because I always mm. felt before like my online world and even my work world was something that happened outside of Santa Cruz. You know, I'd go to a conference right. and have those intense conversations, but it was all within our field. It was all with professionals. Now I'm kind of in this wild west of there's also a part of our public who are engaged and who I'm exposed to in a very personal way and in a day-to-day way. And again, that's awesome. Um, and it's an opportunity for new kinds of conversations, but it, it blurs those boundaries even further. Yeah. So you're absolutely having to deal with multiple identities sure. coming, coming to bear in sort of face-to-face and, and online. Um, go. So I was just going to say, yes, and I've gotten less rigorous about that. I used to be really focused on kind of um, making sure, for example, that I wasn't sharing personal stuff on Twitter, not so much out of privacy, but just I have this real sense with Museum 2.0 of like, who is my audience and what do they care about? And for example, I've always been really rigorous about hitting my, whatever my frequency is at this time. Right now it's every Wednesday. It's like, you don't care what's going on in my life. Um, you expect there to be a Museum 2.0 post that shows up in your blog reader, in your email, or whatever it is every week. And I have to honor that. Um, I have to deliver that. Um, I've gotten a lot looser in other spaces on Twitter and Facebook mm. about, mm. you know, being like, I, you know, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to keep um, trying to craft that identity. Um, and actually, in some cases, I've started opening up, talking about some things that I would never blog about. Um, that I'm just like, well, you know what, if I've decided that I'm turning my Facebook um, page over to, I, I, I openly friend anybody and almost everybody who I'm friends with on Facebook are people I've never met who read my blog or whatever. And, um, and so since I made that choice, I used to really think about it in this professional way, in this online persona. And now I feel like, screw it. Um, you know, if you're going to friend me on Facebook, you are going to hear about things that, um, have nothing to do with work. And I'm not always going to be sharing interesting links related to museums. And if you want to, you know, not follow me on Twitter or whatever, because of that, that's fine. Right. Um, one of your, one of your blog posts that you wrote after your four year anniversary as a blogger was titled how I got here. Um, And in it, what I love, you make a comment is that your story was more a case of getting hired. It's what you want, how aggressive you are and what ideas you can offer. Sure. That last bit about the ideas, how much do you think that a good idea or a good set of ideas in and of themselves can set you apart? Is it, is it the ideas themselves or is it how they're executed that matter? Um, I actually think that in the museum field, that's something that has not changed in the last eight years I've been blogging is I think we still have an open market for good ideas. Um, You know, Mm. just recently I've started spending more time with people in other arts areas like theater um, where there's a much more crowded blogging and online space. And actually, honestly, while I used to say, man, I was so lucky that Museum 2.0 was one of the first blogs that really allowed myself to have this differentiated voice. I actually feel that, you know, eight years later, I don't see a whole lot of a crowded field for the kind of writing um, that you're doing, Suze, the kind of writing that I'm doing, really looking at issues within the field. I mean, I think, Suze, in a lot of ways, you've had a story that's very similar to Mm. my story. And in some ways, it's been accelerated because you were um, you could plug in 
to um, a, a network that was a little more already existing now than it was in 2006. But I don't feel that you, your voice has been diluted or crowded out by a bazillion other voices. I think there are room for many more Suze Cairns and Nina Simons and Jeff Inshows out there. And I think it's really about um, having the ideas, delivering them consistently, um, you know, not, not having that blog fading um, thing happen. I think there's a lot more room, a lot more room. So do you find that the, the blog continues to in, inspire your directorship? I mean, do, do any aspects of this online public persona identity that you've crafted or uh, over the years, does it, does it inform your approach to leading your institution or, or maybe, or maybe challenge it in some way? Uh, yes, both. I mean, first of all, I'll just be honest and say that, um, ever since I took the job, um, the blog has been a blessing because it's the only reflective time I have in my week. And it also is like the biggest, millstone around my neck and I almost every week say to my husband, can I, do you want to ghostwrite my blog? You know? And, um, so I, I love yeah. doing it and it is so important yeah. because I know that reflective practice would leave my life if I didn't have it. So now I think about it in that way that yes, it absolutely informs my, my life as a director because, um, we all know that having time to research and reflect and write is important. Um, but so rarely do we do it. Fortunately, I already had that practice and I've been rigorous about keeping it. Um, I will say the other thing that I find surprising, I was really nervous when I started the job. I thought that I was really concerned about Museum 2.0 and really was thinking about, um, you know, I do, I've been on a post a week for a few years now and I made a rule for myself actually that I wouldn't do more than one post a month related to our museum. And what I have been surprised to find over the last three years um, is that people are responding even more to the experiences and stories from inside our museum um, than I ever would have guessed. And the things that I thought would be irrelevant are very highly relevant because it's coming more from a position of practice within an institution, which is just more relatable, I think. Um, and so I've been really surprised by that. Similarly, I've been surprised that as I've gotten personally more interested in social bridging and inclusion practices, I was nervous too. You know, every once in a while I think about that name, Museum 2.0, like, does that really fit what I'm talking about now? Um, and yet I really find that um, people are enthusiastic about it. They want to know more about it. I also honestly get emails from people who I just got an email last week from somebody who said, I used to like your blog, but last week I threw the phone across the room about this thing you're talking about donors and, you know, um, you know, grow up. And, um, and so, but I've gotten more wow. confident and more comfortable with the fact that, you know what, this is a learning practice for me and I share it with other people and I want to honor their involvement. Um, but I need to be learning through this experience and otherwise I'm, I'm not going to do it. Right. All right. We are, we're starting to wrap up a little bit yeah. now, but the web has evolved hugely since you started on November sure. 2, 2006, yeah. Yeah, the date yeah. of your very first post. <laughs> so we're, we're talking about there being a lot of space for more voices. And I, I agree with that. It sort of surprised me when I discovered how few voices there were yeah. actually. Yeah. So to someone starting out or thinking about their professional identity and putting it into the public realm, whether via blogs or other forms of social media, what advice would you give them? I would say um, 
come up with a way, a strategy that you can consistently deliver. And consistent can mean once a week, it can mean once a day, it can mean once a month. But I think that what I see is some things that really blow up and flame out. Um, I think about this mm. blog, New Curator, that was around a few years ago and was like really hot. And people, you know, museum directors were talking about it. And then, um, you know, that guy, for no fault of his own, you know, it, it faded and went away. And I think that that's totally fine if that's what you're trying to do. But I think that if you're trying to build a professional voice, it takes time both for your own learning and to, you know, um, connect people into it. And so you need to be in it for some kind of long haul, whatever that means for you. Um, I would also say that, you know, I used to be a poet and there's always, when you are a creative writer, they always say you should be reading, you know, at least X times more than you write, right? Whether that's 10 times, three times, whatever. And I think that being part of the online community, not just reading, but also commenting. To me, commenting is the number one way um, to be part of a conversation. Um, to if you're starting a new blog, I used to think about this all the time, man. Um, you know, the best way I ever got more traffic was by commenting on a bigger blog, sounding smart and interesting, and people clicking through. And now I'll also say, as a blogger, the biggest gift I receive is when people comment um, because not only are they bringing stories back to me, but they're sharing that love forward. They're sharing their ideas forward to other people. And that is so valuable when you can feel like you're working into a black box. So I would say, you know, figure out a way to be consistent, um, be involved in a larger conversation. And if you don't want to be a producer, but you love reading or following somebody, tell them, be part of their conversation, be a commenter, and you can be part of that conversation in a lot of ways, even if you're not generating a lot of the content yourself. Yeah, totally. Um, Nina, I, I can't imagine anyone listening to this hasn't read your blog or doesn't follow you on Twitter, but uh, if there are uh, a select few, where might they be able to uh, find you online? Uh, if you type in Nina and Museum into Google, um, you will find me. Um, but no, uh, <laughs> it's museumtwo.blogspot.com. Um, and I'm Nina K. Simon on Twitter. Um, and um, please, you know, shoot a comment on a blog post that provokes you or intrigues you. That is absolutely the best way to get my attention and start a conversation. Awesome. Sounds good. Uh, we'll drop a links to uh, all those things in the show notes. Um, Nina, thanks so much. We, we really appreciate you taking the time to chat with My us pleasure. Today. Absolutely. Ed Rodley is the Associate Director of Integrated Media at Peabody Essex Museum in Salem, Massachusetts. With over 25 years' experience, Ed is a passionate believer in the informal learning that is at the heart of the museum experience and has developed major exhibitions on the Soviet space program, Leonardo da Vinci, Egyptian archaeology and Star Wars as a way to look at new technologies. His first volunteer position in a museum was at age 11 and was followed soon after with summer jobs and internships and entry-level front-of-house positions, which meant that Ed has literally grown up in museums. Since 2010, Ed has been the author of Thinking About Museums, a blog filled with thoughts on museums, content, design, and why they matter. Ed, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Susan Jeffrey. It's a great honour and privilege to be with you today.
It is fantastic. So today we're talking about museum careers and professional identity and, of course, social media. And we've just been speaking to Nina Simon, who became active on social media quite early in her career. Mm -hmm. But for you, blogging and other forms of online museum professional practice started much later in your career. Yeah. What prompted you to dive into the world of museum blogging? Um, interesting question. At the time, uh, when I first started blogging, I did it all wrong for all the wrong reasons. Um, I, I thought I was exploring a new online platform to basically help me do my writing because as a content developer, um, that was what I spent most of my life doing was writing all day. And it seemed like a blog would be just another interesting way to experiment with um, with how to write different ways to think about linearity and narrative and stuff like that. That was really only of interest to me. Um, and after a few <laughs> abortive attempts at posting stuff that I would then go back and look at maybe once, um, I thought, well, yeah, this whole blogging thing, not for me so much. Um, and that would have been in like early 2009. Um, and it wasn't really until um, I had the privilege of having one of those transformative experiences uh, that you get every now and again if you're really lucky um, when it finally dawned on me why one has a blog. Um, I, I, in one day, went to two different museums and saw two absolutely mind-boggling exhibitions. And by the time I was done... I wanted to tell everybody I knew about these things that I had seen and, um, you know, spread the news very widely. And after running around my office doing that for, you know, the 25 or so people who were unfortunate enough to be in that day, I still hadn't gotten it out of my system. Um, and, you know, I was like, ah, what will I do? Uh, the world must know. And I literally thought, like, oh, wait, I've got that dumb blog that I've been doing nothing with forever. And I went and found it and, you know, remembered my password and reset the password when I couldn't remember it and got back in. And um, that was the beginning of the actual blog uh, was when I finally had something to say for an audience that was bigger than just myself. And, and at, first, um, at first, it was really just a way for me to sort of think out loud. Um, I, it wasn't really, I didn't really view it as a conversational tool in the beginning. Mm. It was, it was still, mm -hmm. I, you know, very much of a, a broadcast mechanism. Um, the whole, the whole interactive bit only came about, um, after I posted the first interesting blog post and someone actually responded and it was like, ah, well, what do you do now? This is how that works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds kind of silly in retrospect, but uh, at the time it was all very earth shattering. Yeah, for sure. So, so Ed, did you um, consider or dabble with anonymity at all, or were you always Ed Rodley, uh, the author of the blog? Um, I had dabbled with it in other platforms and in other ways. Um, mm -hmm. For example, uh, a few years prior to that, I had been working on an exhibition on the history of computing. Um, and when you're digging around looking for content on the history of like hacking, um, then anonymity yeah. seems to have a certain benefit, um, particularly when you're looking at things where you imagine the head of IT looking over your shoulder and saying, what are you doing on that site? Like, uh, research, right. it's all research, don't worry. Uh, but in terms of the blog, no. Um, 
I I often tended to scoff at people who um really went into the whole anonymous thing online at, at at the time when I started I certainly felt very strongly that I needed to be me and not just a name. Um Ooh, although right. my position has moderated quite a bit since then. Um you know there are there are there are reasons for people not to be broadcasting who they are. Right. How, how why do you think that is? I mean like how how has it changed? Um There have been a couple of occasions where I've watched online conversations go badly out of control. Um, not so much. Well, yeah, actually, cool. on blogs as well as Twitter Trolls and other things. And flame yeah, trolling, and things like that. Yeah. Um, and particularly where other bigger issues are involved, like power dynamics of um, you know who is the establishment and who is the upstart. Um, gender always seems to crop up is this person a woman speaking oh i'll say things that i would never say to a person that i couldn't identify as a woman um mm. and having actually talked to people who have been uh who have been the subject of that kind of abuse because they weren't anonymous um i'm i'm much i'm much less troubled by people um not pinning their real life name on an online persona um, I, I think people like Museum Nerd are a great example of somebody who, um, you know, if they were someone working in a particular museum, they would not be able to be the resource online they are now, because mm. all of the mm. all of the stuff that they post would be colored by that institutional affiliation, um, their age, where they live, uh, you know, all that other kind of stuff that is sometimes useful and sometimes gets in the way. Right. Right. Do you think that you would have in any way done it differently now? As in, do you think you would have still kept your professional identity as Ed Rodley start, if you were starting the blog now? Um, yes, I think I would. At the time, my employer at the time didn't really have a clear um, statement of what was considered acceptable social media policy. Like, um, you know, there was no blog policy when I started and um, it seemed problematic enough that I tried very hard not to make it easy. Um, if you read like my earliest, if you can still find the earliest posts, um, I go out of my way not to really mention where I was working at the time to the extent that I, I remember one of the very right. first comments I got from somebody was like, who the hell are you and why should I listen to you? Huh. Uh, and I had Did to, you actually I, have to out yourself to co to colleagues then? Did you actually have to go through a process of, yeah, by the way, hi, I am this guy and this is the <sighs> thing that I'm doing? Um, at the time, I opted for the ask for forgiveness later approach. Um, and it was a good yeah. long time before um, that had to happen. Mm. I, I, I'm not sure if I had asked for permission, it would have been granted. So, no, I don't right. think I would have done it differently. If anything, I probably would have been a little more upfront about um, about my professional affiliation. So people wouldn't have to wonder, like, who the heck is this Ed Rodley guy anyway? Right. Do you, do you think there was a moment along the along the path where you realized or that you kind of had become Ed, Rod, Ed Rodley the blogger uh, and that, you know, had a different kind of public recognition i think than you've experienced before and specifically how might that have um impacted 
relationship dynamics within your organization? With colleagues? <clears throat> um, hmm. a- Interesting question. Well, I, th- I think in my current job, uh, it's probably part of the reason I was hired. Um, was that right. was that online persona? Sure. Um, aside from bumping into people at conferences who'll who'll do the uh, you know the conference double take of looking at you and looking at your badge and looking at you and looking at your badge and then going, oh, uh, you're him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's really affected me that much, other than um, I tend to get contacted more by people I don't know than I did before, uh, which is mm-hmm. a, which on the whole is a great thing. Um, you know, people with questions, um, you know, emerging professionals who read something that resonated with them and want to start a conversation. Um, it's all been pretty much a gift up till now. Hopefully it will continue that way. You actually mentioned that your current job, that part of the interest was actually related to your blog or or you Mm -hmm. suspect it was. Do you think that this, career change that you went through because you moved to a new museum for the first time in more than 20 years do you think that there was a relationship between that decision to change and your decision to invest in the online community and the online conversation about museums about about blogging in in blogging Hmm. um the process of blogging certainly um made me pay attention more to what was going on in the field in general than I had previously. Um, I, after a certain number of blog posts in the beginning, realized that that for me, I was like, hey, I can use this as, as sort of professional development for myself because I wasn't getting enough to suit me um, by, you know, looking for topics that were interesting to me and seemed to have some kind of broader audience um, I could actually sort of initiate the kinds of conversations that we all love to have at conferences where you're talking to somebody you don't normally yeah. talk to about something that you don't normally talk about and you both wind up having this or sometimes have this kind of deep experience where you both enrich each other's knowledge, um, which is you know why I keep going back to conferences. And blogging actually allowed me to do some of that same stuff pretty much all the time. Um, and and allow me to pace it in such a way that I could fit it in with working as well. I could blog as frequently or infrequently as I was able to, or, you know, if I was having a really, uh, you know, whatever tough month at work, um, you know, finding a couple of really meaty topics that had nothing to do with whatever my day-to-day woes were um, was a great sort of stress relief mechanism. Um, In terms of... Um, my current position, I think it made it very easy for the Peabody Essex Museum to have an understanding of who I was and what I thought um, professionally in a way that it would be hard to get out of a resume because, you know, they're just not made for that kind of um, philosophical, pedagogical yeah. kind of slant. Like, they very clear where I stand on, uh, you know, how we go about doing what yeah. we do. Well, it's interesting, too, because I think um, – and I don't want to speak for you, Seuss, but f- you know, when thinking about this broadcast, I mean that's the, the reason why we do this is to continue, like, to continue those discussions that um, you know, we do have at these conferences and, 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 and make it a platform to investigate these ideas that, that we find interesting and feel warrant you know, further attention. So um, I'm wondering, Ed, if, if there 
you know, we talked about some of the professional development benefits of putting yourself mm-hmm. out there publicly through on a, on a blog. Are there any other benefits or perhaps hindrances that you, you think people should consider <laughs> when, when, when going public yeah. in this um, way? Wow. Benefits and or hindrances. Yeah, there are certainly plenty of both. Um, I mean, the main one being anything you say on the interwebs is there forever. <laughs> you know the numbers i'm sure you can both resonate with this, with this thought of you know you've you just hit the publish button and then you have that momentary grip of terror like oh my god did i say that and go back and read it over again quickly have you ever and deleted like, a post uh hmm. Hmm? have you ever deleted a post have i ever deleted a post yeah <sighs> um i don't think i've ever actually deleted a published post i, I have definitely written things, saved them as drafts, gone back the next day and gone, oh, no, 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 nope, nope, nope. That would be a mistake. Um, <laughs> I, I was very lucky to have some some very good colleagues uh, early on who, who really helped train me in the school of, if you're feeling really strongly about something, write it down immediately. Do not send it immediately. <laughs> Get it all yeah. out. Good, Come good back and look advice. at it again afterwards, because once it's gone, it's gone. Yep. Even if even if you delete it after it's posted, it's you know someone will have seen it. All those people who have subscribed to your blog, they will get that original version without your edits in it, and it's a lot harder to walk back from something than it is to just hold your fire. Um, right. For me, I think one of the great the greatest benefit has certainly been being able to have conversations with people I would never otherwise. Um, have access to. Um, probably the best example of that would be when I was down visiting you in Australia, Suze, um, and we went down to Tasmania to go see the Museum of Old and New Art, um, which I recommend to anybody who's within 3,000 miles of it. Um, and I wrote a fairly long series of um, posts reviewing my experience there. And about two days after dropping like the second one, um, you know, I got a little email indicating that there was a comment uh, waiting to be moderated from David Walsh. And I thought, like, David Walsh? I was like, oh, I wonder if it's, a, like, the David Walsh who's the director of the museum and the owner and the guy who's responsible for it. <laughs> like, hmm, I don't think I can really read this comment right now. I'm just going to sit on that and <laughs> go about my business and, you know, maybe go hi- breathe into a bag for a while, and then I'll read it and see what he said. Uh, and it turned out to be fine. He had some very insightful comments, but... Um, that was that was sort of the moment that made it clear to me that oh you know when you talk about other people's work they're out there and they may well want to respond to you talking about their work um, I got much more careful after that even though there was you know I didn't really say anything bad but that realization really just hit me like a ton of bricks like mm, yeah you got to be really respectful um, these are other people's livelihoods that. You know, the, people oftentimes will tend to be a little cavalier with, you know, well, I thought that show stunk. Um, and that's not really helpful. So this is quite interesting to me because what we're starting to talk about is how you changed the way you looked at blogging mm-hmm. over time through the process of blogging. It's changed sort of the way you communicate and how you think to blog and you be- mm-hmm. have become more conscious of it through the act of doing it. But the name of your blog actually changed after a couple yeah. of years from thinking about exhibits to thinking about museums. Yeah. So did blogging then change the way you were looking at your job and looking at the museum more generally as well? Was there an evolution through blogging in actually that 
sort of that thinking as well. Yeah, definitely. Before I started blogging, I would have been I would have very clearly identified myself as an exhibit developer and not as a museum professional. Um, I, I was very much focused on my sub-discipline. Uh, you know, those were the people I talked to. Those were the, the right. thoughts I thought. Um, it was, you know, all exhibits all the time. Um, and after a while, um, the title of the blog started to feel like a hindrance because there were things that I wanted to talk about that didn't really directly connect with making exhibitions. Um, and and it got to the point where it just it felt like uh, the title was sort of weighing me down more than saying what I was about. So mm. it made it also made more sense to um, try to appeal to a broader audience. You know, I didn't want to just have it be a place where I wanted it to be more a community of interest than a community of practice. Uh, you know, not mm. just have it be exhibit yeah. folk talking exhibit stuff, uh, but really be museum folk talking about museum stuff. And some of us make exhibits and some of us make programs and some of us make PR and, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely it, it broadened my view of who I was. It's actually just huh. it's an interesting um, observation you make. I remember talking to someone at a drinking about museums in Sydney who was saying that they'd been in the profession for a very long time. But in, early in his career, he just remembered that people would talk about their specific part of, of the museum. So if it was exhibit design, they'd talk about exhibit design. And if they were curators, they'd go and have conversations with other curators. But no one ever really talked about the museum right. as a thing. And I'm, I'm sort of really curious as to whether this is an evolution in the conversation. The, the fact that we now talk about museums as sort of things, as this sort of big idea that we're all grappling with. Mm. I wonder if that is in part a response to social media mechanisms and things like drinking about museums, which aren't drinking about curating. It's actually this broad topic that brings lots of different sub-disciplines together. Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I think Do you it, think it, that that's, that's a response to that? I, I think it definitely is. I mean, social media in general has lowered the bar so much on who can communicate with whom and how easily um, mm. that it's a lot easier. I mean, just look at Twitter and the way that museum folks have glommed onto Twitter as like the social media platform to end all social media platforms. Um, you know, like the old joke on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. You know, on Twitter, nobody mm. knows how many years you've been at what you've been doing. You know, you find grad students right. and old geezers and everybody in between um, all happily going at it um, in a way that would be very difficult to to do in a conference, um, you know, that lack of physicality is actually, I think, an advantage. And in a similar way that an anonymity can be an advantage, um, you know, if you're if you're all there physically present, then it's obvious, like, okay, you folks are all of a certain age, you're hanging out with people who are not my people, uh, you know, the title on your badge may say, like, director, in which case, if my badge doesn't say director, I'm probably not going to hang out with you. Um, whereas on Twitter, it's, a, it's, you're much more easily able to mix it up, um, and just focus on the content of people's speech and less on all of the other, um, the other quantities and qualities, um, that physical communication has. Yeah. And I think it also, it probably has a lot to do with the way we're, we're 
we're we're working in this age, right? I mean, I think a lot of the boundaries between departments in a museum are starting to blur, and you know, the digital folks like myself are working with with everybody at a very kind of ingrained level, um, and so it only makes sense that we're talking about these things um, more holistically. Um, so, you know, um, and I'm, I'm you know we've been talking a lot about like personal mm-hmm. identity. You're personal professional identity but i'm also wondering if you have any thoughts about institutional identity and has and as it relates to social yeah. media it's kind of a hot hot button oh, yeah. topic right now with certain museums pulling from certain social media platforms um i'm wondering what you what you think about that um not that specific. <clears throat> yeah we've had some very interesting discussions about what we want our social media um presence to look like and i think a lot of this ties in also to uh the the conversation that needs to go on for a lot longer um about if we're not going to have an institutional voice the way there used to be the institutional voice uh, what are we going to replace it with um and at, at pem at least for the moment what we what we are experimenting with is trying to replace the one sort of bland uh, you know, editorially standardized institutional voice with as many uh, individual voices of the people who work at PEM that um, we think hmm. in the aggregate will give you that same impression of what PBD Essex Museum is about um, without having right. to make everybody think and act and talk the same way. So if you look at our blog, mm. it's got something like 40 different authors um, on it, and that's really been our, our, our primary vehicle for experimentation up to the moment. Um, we're just getting to the one-year anniversary of the blog, so one of the things we'll be looking at is what do we want to do in the coming year? Uh, what do we want to try to uh, to change to make it well, even even more multivocal and, and dare I say, more authentic? Um, you know, the, right. the director is a very strong advocate for all of these things and has made, you know, made clear the expectation that this kind of stuff, uh, in the future is going to be part of everybody's jobs. It's not, you know, hopefully they will, they will not be the same kind of social media people and departments there currently are because it will get absorbed as part of everybody's day-to-day routine, but we're obviously nowhere near there yet. Um, but that is, that is at least the goal. How do you get to that place where, um, you know, you don't have to run blogging workshops to get people to understand what the platform is about and what its affordances are. Um, that's where I think other grassroots things like um, like Carolyn Royston's Computer Club at the Imperial War Museum, you know, that kind of really quick and dirty, informal, peer-to-peer learning um, has great promise, I think, in the same way that Drinking About Museums does, because it brings people together who might not normally be together around something that they all recognize as having value. Mm. Yeah. All right. Now, I, I possibly shouldn't be asking this question. I should have left Jeff ask this question because I'm involved with this project. But before we wind up, I wanted to talk to you about Code Words, which is a project that really you came up with with Rob Stein and I. I I think I happened to be brought in on because you and I had been talking for a while about doing a project together. And this is a museum discourse project that's come out of blogging and out of the blogosphere, but Mm -hmm. wanting to make it into a more formal mechanism 
Can you tell us a little bit about Code Words as a discourse project and also what you think social media does to museum discourse and to professional discussion generally? Yes. Um, I will try to describe it briefly and hopefully intelligibly. Um, so to get back to Jeff's earlier question about um, how social media has affected the way we talk to each other, um, Suze and I, who we first met God, a long time before we actually met in person uh, through social media, through blogging and Twitter, um, mm -hmm. had been talking for some time about, gee, we should write a book sometime. Um, and separately, Rob and I have been talking about a number of different projects, and he was actually the one who, who uh, presented the notion of, wouldn't it be an interesting experiment if um, we tried to harness the kinds of conversations that go on through social media, primarily blogs, um, where there's a lot of interesting thinking happening in uh, the digital realm where it bumps into museum practice um, and larger societal issues. But it all tends to happen in very small chunks and tends to be very scattered. It's hard to put it all together um, into a larger coherent framework. Um, so then the three of us, you don't get off as somebody who came late to the game, Miss <laughs> Cairns. Uh, so the three of us jointly uh, had many, yes. many, many Google Hangouts to talk about, um, could we put together some kind of publishing experiment where we would ask a bunch of people um, who routinely say interesting things um, to come up with a set of topics about um, digital technologies and museum practice and museum theory and tr try to have a more coherent online discussion um, where we could solicit the broadest possible input. So rather than, say, the typical old journal publishing model where you would sit there, you would do all the writing in, in private by yourself, you might send a draft to people to edit and send back to you, uh, but the number of people who would see the thing before the thing was published would be like maybe six, maybe seven. Uh, or maybe three. Um, could we could we leverage the affordances of the medium to actually open that part of it up to lots of people, with with the hope being that uh, we'd actually get a better product out of the end if you actually had a lot of people able to see it, uh, and also rather than just being a random collection of essays, you could hopefully have a more coherent. Uh, discussion rather than just 12 discussions on related topics. Um, so the, the notion for Code Words was born, um, and the idea is that we will be hosting um, a number of essays on, uh, on the platform Medium um, that we'll be launching imminently, eek, um, and we'll be letting anybody who finds them um, comment on them, also, the choice of medium um, is driven by the desire to make something open enough so that if somebody who was not even somebody we knew about um, felt moved to write an essay on the same topic, medium allows you to do that. And if you if you give it the appropriate hashtag, uh, it would show up alongside all of the other essays that we, we actually seeded the process with. Um, mm. And then at the very end of very the process, cool. uh, hopefully we could take those essays, all of the commentary that occurs on Medium and then will inevitably occur on Twitter as well and probably on other people's blogs, gather that all up, give it back to the authors and say, 
you know, can you go back and revise your blog post to something more formal that feels more like um, an essay for a professional volume and maybe find someone willing to publish it? Who knows? It might work. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it, I think it, I think it's a fascinating project. I, I can't wait to see um, how it turns out. So if, um, Ed, I know you're you're up against a hard stop here today, but um, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. If somebody is interested in code words or your mm-hmm. blog or your Twitter, where can they go to to, to find you on the internet? Okay, well, yeah, I, I'm at the point now where more people know me as at sign E Rodley than know me as Ed Rodley. So Twitter is a good place to look for me. Um, to get back to Susan's point about renaming the blog, um, you know, re- retitling it is one thing, but changing the URL is another. So even though the, the title of the right. blog is thinking about museums, the URL that I picked back in 2009 is still um, exhibitdev.wordpress.com, because um, changing that would you know, break God knows how many links out there on the interweb. So I'm pretty much stuck with it for the foreseeable future. Uh, those would be the best places not to look. Or... Um, my, my professional gig, if you check out the PBD Essex Museum's blog, which is connected.pem.org, you'll find more stuff there specifically relating to stuff going on here at PEM. Very cool. We'll put links to all of that stuff in the show notes. Ed, thanks so much for taking the time, and uh, we'll uh, talk soon. Oh, thanks for having me. All right, so some uh, some pretty interesting uh, stuff there from both Ed and Nina. What do you think, Suze? Yeah, I thought so as well. It, it sort of surprises me in some ways that we're having this conversation about social media and museum professional development because I would have thought it was a conversation that we'd had. But actually there's so much still in it, and I do think we're still exploring it and, and what it means to be active on social media as professionals. Yeah. So, you know, we talked a lot to our guests about their usage of it. I'm curious about about your usage of it. Um, where do you see your blog going in the future and, 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 you know, also your usage of Twitter and things like that? I mean, do you see it growing and expanding and continuing on in perpetuity? Yeah. Well, I don't know about perpetuity, but I definitely think um, it was interesting to me hearing both Nina and Ed talk about their experiences because... For me, the blog is definitely a tool for thinking and it's a tool for professional development and it's where I go when I have questions. And at the moment, because I've been really finishing up my PhD argument, I haven't had as much room to explore that and so the blog sort of died off. But I've got all these questions that are building up and waiting inside me that I just can't wait to get into when I have the energy to turn away from the PhD. So I really think it will be... um, something that I turn to once I've got rid of this big creative project. But for me, I'm quite interested as to what it's going to be like when I actually have a job in the sector rather than when I'm looking at the sector sort of as an outsider digging into it because I think I'll really have to become aware of my voice and what I talk about Mm -hmm. in very different ways. Do you think that do you think your activity online will be a will be a a positive when when you're interviewing for positions and and actually seeking out positions? Um, I think it's probably going to influence where I look at as much as anything because actually the people who know me are also often, because it is a sense of community, the people that I know. And so I think it will actually influence where I decide to look as well. Um, Mm -hmm. 
But hopefully it will be a positive. It will be a positive in that whoever employs me is going to know at least to some yep. extent what they're getting and much like Ed spoke right. about. Yep. I mean, how, how cool. have you found your identity affected by say doing the podcast and, and you blog as well. So by those, things. yeah, it's funny because I've been blogging for a long time and, and my site um, yeah, has gone through a lot of transitions, but it's, it's actually interesting to uh, have been doing this podcast for the last year. And it's funny because even inside my institution just today, somebody came up and was like, Oh, you do that podcast? That's that's awesome, you know. Like, and I'm like, because I I feel kind of weird about it, but um, you know, I, cause I haven't like you know pushed it out there, and I'm just kind of doing my thing, and like everyone's aware of it, but um, you know, it's it's interesting to kind of uh to 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 see how this this podcast itself and and the topics we've discussed um kind of kind of come back and work their way into into the institutional um presence in a way, which is mm. cool. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I definitely, I, I'm, I'm starting to have a little bit more fun on the internet outside of this podcast too. Um, uh, so that's, you have to have fun when you do it too. So yeah, I anyway. would definitely agree with that. Well, this has people, been fun yeah. for me. I have to say this episode I have enjoyed as well as the last year. And I'm hoping, uh, that we will continue to have fun making this podcast. Definitely. And if somebody wanted to find out, it would see you having fun on the internet, Seuss, where would they do that? <laughs> okay, so I am probably most fun on Twitter, um, where you can find me at ShinesLike. And my much neglected blog is museumgeek.wordpress.com, which soon, soon it will become less neglected. What about you, Jeff? Tell me where we can find you. Static made on the internet. Um, static made on Twitter, staticmade.com. Um, Suze, as always, pleasure. Happy anniversary. <laughs> and, Happy anniversary, uh, Jeff. W- we will speak uh, next month. <laughs> Sounds totally awesome. Have a great time until then. <laughs>